You're listening to the Restoration Church Bible Study. Join us each week as Gloria Lee takes us verse by verse through the Old Testament. Today we are in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, and we are starting with the ninth verse. And at this point, Nehemiah is now in the region beyond the river, is what this verse 9 says. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalot the, the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So this is another example of Nehemiah's godly leadership. He actually went. God told him, you need to go, and he went. Sometimes God tells us things that we that need to be done, and we think, oh, that's great. We need to do this, but then we don't go and do them. And so here he actually went, traveled 800 miles from Persia to Jerusalem to do the work of rebuilding the walls. Um, God is in the doing of things. You know, it doesn't matter what we say. It's what we do that God looks at. And that is is the bottom line. So in verse 9, it says beyond the Euphrates. That means that that is west of the Euphrates. That's the dividing line between uh, Babylon and the, the kingdom part of Judah. So at this point, Nehemiah spoke to the governors of that region who were ruled by the Persians because the Persians ruled all of that area through Judah. And he had captains of the army and horsemen with him. I remember in Ezra, he told the king, I don't want any horses and any captains of the army to go with me because God is going to take care of us. And so he refused. But Nehemiah accepted it. And he also had the supplies of lumber from the king's forest. So the king of Persia had responded to Nehemiah's invitation to become a partner in the work of building the walls of Jerusalem. So Sanballat, the Horonite, was also considered a Moabite because it was actually came from the town of uh, Horonim. And that is in Moab. Tobiah, the Ammonite, was another one. These are all in verse, um, let's see, in verse 10. They were two of the people that God had taken out of the promised land for the Israelites. And Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem were regional governors who served under the king of Persia. Sanballat called a Horonite, and the meaning of Horonite means men of anger or fury, or could be freedom, which means they could do anything that they wanted to do. And they were probably from a city here in Moab. Now, Sanballat was a Samaritan, and he was a leader and official of the uh, Akronid 
Empire, which is also called the Persian <coughs> Empire, which was also the Iranian Empire, which was founded in 550 B.C. by Cyrus the Great. So it was all of that was the same, called the same empires. Uh, Tobiah and... Uh, and um, let's see... Sanballat was actually a Moabite. Yes, he was. So Tobiah the Ammonite was governing over an east area of the Jordan River. And Geshem the Arab was most likely from the south area of Judah. So he was from the southern region. So generations after Israel first possessed the promised land, these groups came back and kind of filtered back into Judah and Israel. And they wanted to keep Jerusalem in ruins. So at the governor's station, Nehemiah met with these two enemies of Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem who cared about the welfare of the city. (coughs) So they were deeply disturbed, these two men, that someone wanted to come into Jerusalem and help build the walls and help the people in Jerusalem. They wanted it to be the same. They wanted a weak and vulnerable Jerusalem. As long as the people were not strong, they were happy. And so notice when this opposition came. The opposition came when... Progress came in doing something. So Nehemiah came to do something. That's when the opposition came. There was no opposition before. So verses 11 through 16. So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Then I rose in the night, and I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate. Now, here, uh, here's the valley gate. And he says, I came out of the valley gate to the serpent well. Now, the serpent well, nobody knows exactly where it is. It's also called, in most, in some of the Bibles, it's called dragon well. Oh. It's also called uh, jackal well, or it could be called monster well. But uh, it means a spring, actually. And I think it was a spring that was right here as a, a Siloam pool. And I think it was a spring that went into the Siloam pool. But nobody knows for sure. This is the only place in the scripture where it is mentioned. And it's only in um, the, the King James Version and the New American Standard Bible. But it's called Dragon Well there. And uh, the, New King, the New King James Version calls it the Serpent Well. But uh, whatever it was... No one knows exactly where it is. And then he went to the refuse gate, or the dung gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate. Uh, Here's the fountain gate. So he starts up here, 
It comes all the way down here. Goes to the fountain gate and then to the king's pool. The king's pool is right here. It's not on this map. But there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, and then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. So here is the uh, here on this side is the Kidron Valley. So he couldn't get through it after he got this far. So he had to go into the valley to view. I don't know how far he went up, maybe about this far, but that is as far as he went. Then he turned back around and came back and went back through the valley gate. So, um, as the, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. So after being in Jerusalem for three days, Nehemiah still didn't tell anybody why he was there. Now they saw him come in. They saw him with his party, the horsemen, the captains of the army, the the uh, timber that came from the king's forest. They had seen all that, but they just still didn't know why he was there. And he didn't say anything about his mission until the time was right. So he came to Jerusalem, did nothing for three days, and then in verse 12, he went out in the night so no one would see him. And he, he set off here on the west side of the city, went to the east side, then came back to the west side and uh, viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Now, he wasn't just sightseeing. What he was doing was studying the broken down walls that he had been told about, the burned gates. Now, the word viewed, it says that he viewed the, the walls and the gates. Viewed is a medical term in the scriptures, which means probing a wound to see the extent of its damage. So that means really looking at it closely to see how bad it was. So for the first time, Nehemiah saw with his eyes what had been told to him by his brother who had come back from Judah to Babylon. And now he saw for himself what needed to be done and what God had called him to come and repair. So sometimes we have to look at what's wrong. You know, we want to accent on the positive always. But sometimes we have to look and see what's wrong so that we can repair what is wrong. Uh, When we look honestly at the church, we're probably not satisfied with what the impact on our community has been. We want to do more. We want to see what we've not done right. Um, And we can't say it wasn't enough until we look and see what wasn't enough. So we have to do that. If somebody looked at my life, they would probably see some broken walls in my life. You know, it would be the same type of thing. So would you read Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight, please? And he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. So that's what this says. If you can't rule your own life, 
We're like a city that doesn't have walls or gates. So many lives are like that. They're broken. They, they live in constant fear. They have poverty. They have insecurity. So Nehemiah took time to count the cost of building this wall it, in the time, in the money, in the effort, and then his leadership. He took time to look at all those things. Verse 17 and 18, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. So again, we see this phrase that Ezra used a lot. The good hand of the Lord is upon me. So the citizens and the leaders of Jerusalem come together, and they see this impossible job that had been tried to repair 100 years before, and they were not able to. And so they had lived with it for all that time. So here, when he comes, and he has this vision for rebuilding the wall, and he gives them the vision that he has, they accept it. There was a good response there. And he told them the things that were very obvious. Here are some of the things he said. In these verses 17 and 18, he says, the distress we are in, in verse 17, He doesn't say the distress you are in. He puts himself in their position. He associates with them. Uh, Then the second thing he says, come and let us build the wall. He doesn't say he's going to do it for them. He wants them to be a partner with him. The third thing is that we may no longer be a reproach. So this wasn't really about bricks and mortar It was about shame and fear and poverty of the city of Jerusalem because they didn't have any protection. And that's how they had been living for 100 years. And then in verse 18, I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me. It wasn't his project, it was God's project. And I told them of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So the heart of, of the king of Persia had been touched. He, was, he did not have God as his God. But the heart of this king had been touched to get together with Nehemiah and support this work. Now we also notice what Nehemiah did not do. He relied on the Lord and the leaders to create the true inward motivation from the inside. Now we can do external motivation We can put guilt on people. We can uh, manipulate them. We can use pressure and carnal rewards to get somebody to do something, but that's external. And it might last for just a little bit, but it doesn't last for long. So this response of the leaders of Jerusalem was of God. Now here's some of the things that maybe they could have said. 
They might have denied the need for the walls. I mean, after all, we've lived here for a hundred years without walls. We've got the temple. Why do we need a wall? Or they might have seen the project as it's too much work. You know, Nehemiah, it sounds good, but that's a lot of work. If you want to do it, go ahead and do it. But don't count on us. The third thing thing is they might have seen the opposition as too strong. Well, you know what? We tried to do this 100 years ago, and we had opposition. We couldn't do it. So we can't do it now. And then they set their hands to do this good work. So this shows that God's hand was in all of this. So we know that Nehemiah was a good leader because they began to follow him. So verse 19. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So spiritual opposition to the work of God wants us to accomplish is really what gets most people. They get this spiritual opposition. They say, okay, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And they feel defeated. Now, back in verse 10, here's what they had said. They were deeply disturbed that a man would come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. And now they say they will seek to do anything that will block the progress of Nehemiah that he was doing. Now, Tobiah is a Jewish name. We see it all through the Bible. We're going to see it through the Bible from now on. He was a a man of influence, and he was associated with the high priest family. He was getting help from the priest. Tobiah was a prominent name, and it, it was in priestly families for a long time after this. It actually means Yahweh is good. That's what Tobiah means. And um, that's a strange name for a man who is an opponent of God's work. Sanballat was connected by marriage to the priestly families. So... Um, an ancient document from this period refers to Sanballat as the governor of Samaria. That's why he was called a Samaritan. And these men were Jews. They were brothers, so, so to speak, of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And we would have thought that they would have supported this work, but they did not. So... Most of our enemies are spiritual enemies. And what uh, Sanballat and Tobiah tried to do is use mockery and scorn to stop the work. Making them feel like, well, we're stupid or we're foolish or we're, um, uh, we're mocking, they're mocking us. And I want to ask you, have you ever felt foolish or stupid when somebody came against you? 
for something you were trying to do for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh-uh, no, uh, you know, you're stupid, you're foolish, that type thing. We all have. And that, if we haven't, we're going to be sometimes, probably. Because um, that's one way that God tests us. So in, in verse uh, 19, it says, Will you rebel against the king? They didn't know that he had letters from the king giving him permission to do this building, but he did. And so it shows that they, they didn't have a view of God's authority. They just had a view of the king's authority, and they said, You don't even have the king's authority. Well, he did. And so they didn't even know what they were t- talking about. So the king had given permission for this work, but they weren't concerned about God's authority. So verse 20. And so I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah just ignored everything that they said, and he would not be put on the defensive. (coughs) He just said, God's in this. And it's the same thing with us. If we allow our enemies to get us to stop what we should be doing and give all of our attention to them, then our enemies have won. So, in this verse, it says, We his servants will arise and build. So, Nehemiah proclaimed who he was and what he was going to do. And so, in facing our enemies, that's what we need to do. Who are we and what are we to do? I think about our church and all the time when I'm reading these things. Who are we and what are we to do? So, Nehemiah proclaimed the truth about his enemies. They may have been Jews by birth. They may have been citizens of Jerusalem. They may have been uh, had some property in the city, but they had no heritage and no right in the city because of what they were doing. Now, this opposition didn't melt away immediately. All the way through the building of the walls, they opposed him. So that's the end of chapter two. Do you have any questions, comments about this chapter? Okay. Now the kind next of, chapter. That kind of correlates with our life. Well, it does. Doing God's work mm-hmm. and you know that you've had a mandate, you're going to have opposition. Yes. And uh, that's kind of like what we go through. Huh? Yes, it is. yes, it opposition. is. Opposition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This next chapter has a a list of all of the names of the men who built the walls of the city. It may seem uh, tedious and it may seem boring, but if it's in the scripture, it's important. And I think we could get some things out of this chapter. So chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Then Elishab, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, to build the sheep gate. That's this one right here. So the high priest with his other priest built that gate. They consecrated it. They hung its doors. 
They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred, right here. Okay, so we're going to go all the way around. And they consecrated it. Then as far as the Tower of Hananel, or Hananiel, sometimes he's called Hananiel. Next to uh, Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Emery, built. Now, the work is described in the reference to the uh, gates of the city. They were the critical place where the enemy could come in and go out. And so they needed to get that particularly done. It's the place most likely to have an attack. So the sheep gate, which is the next one here, uh, again, is the one where the, the people who were shepherds brought their sheep so that they could sell them to be an offering, a burnt offering. And so that's what that sheep gate, that's why it was called that. And up until just not too many years passed, it was still used for that. Now, uh, Eliashib, the high priest, was the first worker mentioned. So he rose up to do the work with the other priests, and they worked at rebuilding the sheep gate and the section next to it. He didn't act like he was too spiritual because he was the high priest. I mean, he was, he was the head man. He, he went ahead and did it. He was not that spiritual that he was not, you know, don't ask me to do it. But he did it. And uh, the whole rest of the chapter is filled with 50 other people who followed his example. He set that example for the other people. And the idea behind the uh, consecration is to show that it was a very important thing uh, it was set apart for God's glory and God's service. So uh, verse 3 through 5. Also, the sons of Hashaniah built the fish gate. That is right here. And they laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Mermuth, the son of Uriah, the son of Koz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshalem, the son of uh, Berechiah, the son of Meshizebel, made repairs. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, made repairs. Next to them, the the Ketoites made repairs. You can also call it Tekoites, that most people call it Ticoites. But their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. So the fish gate got its name because it was right there where they had the fish markets. People brought in the fish from Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. So the sons of Hashaniah did the work of rebuilding the gate while others helped. The word for repairs is called uh, Kazakh, C-H-A-Z-A-Q. And it's used 35 times in this chapter. And it has the idea of strengthening, encouraging, 
of making something strong. So the Ticoites did their work. The people of Tika were more than willing to work, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Um, these nobles from the city of, of Tika thought that they were above the hard work. That's not my thing. I'm better than that. And so they didn't join in. And so literally the idea in Hebrew means they wouldn't submit. They wouldn't. And in the um, Amplified Version, it says they would not bend their necks to what the Lord wanted to do. But the real issue here is submission. They would not submit to what the Lord had them to do. Whatever their reason, they probably regretted it because forever in the history of Jerusalem, their names were mentioned that they did not help build. And that's not a good thing to have your name mentioned that way. So verse 6 through uh, 12. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Peshiah, and Meshalem, the son of Beodiah, repaired the ge- old gate. Uh, here's the old gate right here. And when so they went to that gate, old gate. That means that, that where all the old people that, went? Well, no, it means that that was the oldest one that, that was done, apparently. The old gate. So they called it the old gate. And they laid its beams and hung its doors. Um, and then next to them, Melatiah the Gibbonite, Jehan, and uh, Merathite, the men of Gibeon and Mitzvah, repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to them, Uzziah, the son of Harhea, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. So here we see the broad wall. It's that, that area right there. Next to them, uh, Rephiah, the son of Ur, leader of the half of the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jediah and Haranath made repairs in the front of his house. And next to him, Haddish, the son of Hashaniah, um, made repairs. And then Malchiah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pehath Moab, repaired another section, as well as the tower of the ovens or the furnaces. Now, here is the tower of the ovens or the furnaces. Next to him was Shalom, the son of uh, Halahash, leader of the half of the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. Now, this tower of ovens was located at Baker Street in Jerusalem. It's at the Western Wall. It was considered the baking district of Jerusalem. And um, the Sabbath showbread at the temple was made here in this place. 
It was baked by the Levite bakers, and that's from First Chronicles 9. Zedekiah had his guards make bread for Jeremiah every day. They made a loaf of bread for Jeremiah, and that's in Jeremiah 17. This is the only place in Scripture that it's mentioned that the women worked on the wall. Now, here we think about women working on a wall. It's hard work, but they did it. These were the daughters of Halahesh. And then among the repairs of the old gate that we mentioned earlier, and its nearby walls were Yisiel, the son of Harhaya, one of the goldsmiths. Alongside him was Hananiah, one of the perfumers. I already mentioned those two people. These were men that had different professions, a perfumer and um, the goldsmith. Now, you would think that those two men would not be able to do this kind of work. They had no, no uh, previous knowledge of how to even do it, and yet here they were doing something that was not in their trade. Uh, it would seem that they would have an easy excuse to say, well, you know, I don't know how to build a wall. I know about perfumes, and I know about gold, but I don't know how about how to do a wall, but they did it. And so, you know, the, the thing that's most important, I think, to God is availability. We can have people that are available and have a zeal to do something, and they can do a lot more than people that have the ability to do it who don't really want to. And so availability, very important to God. Um, today you can see Jerusalem. You can still see that broad wall. You know, archaeologists uh, are very good about finding things that make the history of Israel real. Because critics have said, no, there was no broad wall. Well, they have found the broad wall. It's there. And it's 20 feet wide. That's why they call it a broad wall. So it's still there, and it has cut down those critics who have said, the Bible's not true. There is no broad wall. Okay. Um, So Rephiah, another leader, and then Jediah, knew what leadership meant. They were two good leaders. Jediah made repairs in front of his house. Um, His house is right here. And so he made repairs in front of his house. Um, And it's interesting to see about the men who made repairs in front of their house. We have Jediah. His name means he who calls upon God. So, you know, our houses need to be a house of prayer. He called upon God. In in the 23rd verse, it mentions Benjamin making repairs before his house. Son of my right hand is what his name means. And our, our homes need to be a place of protection. And then in that same verse, it, it mentions Hashab. And his name means intelligent or esteemed. In verse 29, it mentions Zadok. His name means justice. So our homes have to be a place of justice and integrity. Uh, In Nehemiah 3.30, 
It means it mentions Meshulam. His name means devoted. And so our homes have to be a place of devotion and separation to God. So it's interesting that all of these homes, uh, like here is Zadok's home. Uh, here's Meshulam's chamber. Uh, okay. So uh, Malchiah is mentioned in Ezra ten thirty one as one of the men who was confronted by Ezra because he had married pagan wives. And this was many years before, and so here he is. He's gotten things right with God, and now he is helping to serve God. So Shalem and his daughters made repairs. So it shows that everyone got in to the work of making repairs. In verse 13, Haham and the inhabitants of Zanoah repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired a thousand cubits. That's 1,500 feet of wall. They repaired it from there all the way down here to the Dung Gate. Verse 14, let's see, verse 15 through 27. Shalom, the son of Kohosan, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the Fountain Gate. This right here. He built it, covered it, and hung its doors and its bolts and bars, and repaired the wall of the Pool of Selah. Now that's uh, not on here, but the Pool of Selah is in this area right here. Okay, and it says it's by the King's Garden. The King's Garden is also here. As far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. So here we have the stairs. This is all the city of David here. And so it's higher than this part. And so they had stairs that went down from the city of David down to the lower part of the city. Um, it's interesting that in, in verse uh, 15, we see Shalon. And it's spelled differently than Shalom, which we saw earlier. So one spelled with an M and one with an N. This one is spelled with an N, so they're two different men. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Ezbuk, which is a different Nehemiah. Remember, I told you there were three Nehemiahs. This is one of those three, who was the leader of half of the district of Benzer, Bethzer made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David. Um, here are the tombs of David. Okay, and to the man-made pool. This is the artificial pool, the man-made pool. And as far as the house of the mighty. Now, uh, I don't think the house of the mighty is on that map. Let's see. It's about right here. Okay, after him, the Levites under Rehum, the son of Boni, made repairs. Next to him, Hashabiah, leader of the half district of Kela, repaired his, for his district. After him, their brethren under Beva, the son of Hanadad, leader of the other half of the district of Kela, made repairs. And next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, 
the leader of Mispa repaired another section in front of the ascent to the armory. Let's see. I don't think that's on that map. Map uh, is about right here. Okay. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, carefully repaired the other section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elishab, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Koz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Elishab to the end of the house of Elishab. So he must have had a big, pretty big house because it was from one side of the house yeah, to the other. Yeah, so. <laughs> you would think so. And after him, the priest, the man of the plain, made repairs. And after him, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs opposite their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Araniah, made repairs by his house. And after him, Benuah, the son of Hanadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress, even as far as the corner. The corner is the one that they're thinking about right up there. Halal, the son of Uzziah, made repairs opposite the buttress and on the tower which projects from the king's upper house. Now, there were two corners. There was a corner up there and a corner there, so I think it was that corner right there. Uh, after him, Padiah, the son of Parash, made repairs. And moreover, the Nethium, who dwelt in Othel, made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate. So here's the water gate right here. Toward the east and on the projecting tower. There are three projecting towers. There's one here, one here, and one here. And you can see they're 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 wider than most other places. The section of the wall near the water gate saw some remarkable service. And apparently the Tikoites weren't satisfied with what they had already done, and so they went back and redid what they had done and made it better. So that was a good example for everybody else to do the very best that they could. And then beyond the horse gate, um, which is right here, we have the priests made repairs in front of each of their homes. And after them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Zechariah, the keeper of the east gate, Um, made repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Ham, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, made repairs in front of his dwelling. Now, Shemaiah was the keeper of the east gate right there. And apparently the gate in front of his house was not in very bad shape. And so he got it fixed uh, very quickly, and so he helped at the horse gate. And so being unselfish, that was also a good example for the men. Meshalem, the son of Bariah, made repairs in front of his dwelling. Now, um, here we have Meshalem's chamber, which was right there too. And a chamber means it's a single room. So these men lived in one room 
I don't know if they had their eating things there or what, but you think about it. You live in one room, one small room, and yet they're devoted to God and the work of rebuilding. And then after him, Melchiah, this one of the goldsmiths made repairs as far as the house of the Nethanim and the merchants in front of the Mikdash gate. It's also called the Luster Gate. It's right up there. Um, it's also called the Assembly Gate. As far as the upper room at the corner, this is the corner of there. And between the upper room and the corner, as far as the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. So we have gotten through that. Um, so we're going to stop there. So any questions or comments about this? I know it's... Thank you for listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. If you would like to watch our message live or looking for more information about our church, visit us. Follow us on Facebook, Restoration Church.